Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a hearty welcome to all our brothers and sisters who are in church this morning for worship of our heavenly God. We extend a special welcome to all visitors who have joined us this morning here in church, but also to all those who are with us remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted, edified, and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel this morning. And may God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Natasha Lewis has arrived with attestation from the Free Reformed Church of Bunbury. We welcome this sister into our congregation. Consistory as elders and deacons will meet the Lord willing at 8 o'clock tomorrow evening in the consistory room. The funeral of our late brother John Jansen is scheduled for Wednesday the 29th of March. That's this coming Wednesday a week. The Lord willing. The graveside service will be held at 10 o'clock in the morning at the Rockingham Regional Memorial Park after which we will be comforted by the word of God at 11.30 a.m. in this church building. This morning, as well as this afternoon, the worship service will be led by our own pastor, Reverend Poppy. Before we commence, the worship service let us sing together from Psalm 95, verse 3. Psalm 95, verse 3. sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As the people of God, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. Let's sing together from Psalm 97, the verses 1 and 5. 
In John 14, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us that if you love me, you will do what I command you. Let's listen to the commands that God gave, gave to us so that we know how we can show him how much we love him. We're going to hear the commands as they come to us this morning in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your, or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's now sing together from Psalm 130. In this psalm, we're going to make a confession of our sins. We're also going to sing of the hope that we may have in the forgiveness that God gives us as an act of grace. Psalm 130, the verses 1 through 4.
Let's now pray to God. Let's wait for one second here. Let's pray to God and ask him for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, once again on this Sunday morning we get to come here to church and we get to meet together with you. Father, what a joy it is for us that you're our God and that we are your people. What a great thing it is to know of your character, that you're a God who's faithful in his dealings with his people. Lord, you're a God who never changes. You made promises to your people long ago. You've made promises to us. You're a God who fulfills those promises. You do it not because of who we are. It's not because we're such good people. But you do it because of who you are. Because you're a faithful God who's true to his word. Because you're merciful and gracious. And because you have sent your son to redeem us to yourself. Dear Father in heaven, we're so thankful that we can meet here and come into your presence to hear your word. We pray that you give us open hearts. Grant us, Father, that we may take your word to heart. That we enjoy listening to what you have to say to us, that we have great fellowship with you, that our hearts may be opened, and that we, we listen to what you have to say to us. Grant that you would encourage us in our relationship with you. Grant, Lord, that we may understand what kind of a great God you are. But one of the things that will come is, is we'll be convicted of sin. We pray, Lord, that when we are convicted of sin, that we may recognize it for what it is and that we may flee from it. We're so grateful for the message of the gospel We could just sing of that a moment ago, that we are those who commit transgressions. And Lord, we we just confess that if you're a God who who marked down our transgressions, then no one could stand with you. But we we rejoice that you are a God who forgives sin, who delights to wash it away, to make us clean through the blood of your Son. Please grant then, Lord, that we can be honest about sin, that we're able to recognize it for what it is, that we may repent of it, that we may rest under your grace. Lord, we are sorry for the sins we have committed this past week. We stand before you with empty hands, and again we plead that for Jesus' sake, that you would wash us in the blood of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you as we find that in the last verse of Malachi 2 and the first five verses of Malachi chapter 3. In those verses, the Lord talks about the fact that he's going to come in judgment. And when he comes in judgment, then he's going to to test us for who we are and to refine us. And one chapter that that talks a bit about this testing and refining is is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So I invite you to open your Bible with me, and we're going to read together from 1 Corinthians 3. So 1 Corinthians 3, you can find that on page 1132 of your guest Bible. In 1 Corinthians 3, there God's word says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh 
and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being, being merely human? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. So far the reading of God's holy word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the, the judgment which God is going to bring down on the wicked. Psalm 10, verses 1 and 6.
So the text for the sermon this morning is taken from Malachi, the last verse of chapter 2 and the first five verses of chapter 3. You can find that on page 954 of your guest Bible. So Malachi, chapter 2, and we're going to start reading at verse 17. The God's word says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soul. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in, and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who press, oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So far, the, the text for this morning. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 66, the verses 4 and 5. Well, dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, do you ever long for justice? You ever have it that you look around you and the world around you and you see a lot of injustice, that it just really irks you, that you get frustrated by it all? And sometimes you read the news, you read about these powerful government officials, you read about business leaders, you, really, you read about the, the media executives, and they use their power to advance their own position. I was reading the news in the last couple of weeks in the UK, there's bit of an outcry. They have some of these text messages from some of the ministers came out into the open and it became evident that some of the senior government officials and ministers, they made decisions in collusion with the media in order to paint a certain picture with regards to the lockdowns in the UK. Well, it can really irritate you when you see that, that these people are working together. Or just recently, you read about the the banking fiasco that's going on. And the government officials, they, they bail out some of these banks. And they say, oh no, it's not going to cost anybody any money. But at the end of the day, who is it that ends up paying if there is a bailout? Is it not the little people? People who pay their taxes? And don't they bail out these greedy banking officials who created the problems in the first place? 
Or maybe you want to talk about injustice on another level. You read the news and you read about the persecution that Christians experience. Eritrea, or China, or Syria, or elsewhere. These people are maligned, and sometimes they're murdered for the sake of their faith in Christ. Or sometimes it's even a bit closer to home. You're bullied at school, or your boss takes advantage of you, or you're dismissed without charge, or someone breaks into your home and steals a bunch of your stuff, or maybe you, you submit an insurance claim and the insurance company denies the claim, or you have a friend who slanders you, or your spouse is being really selfish, or someone's sexually abused you. And the worst part? is that you can't do anything about it. You have to sit there and take it. Well, in those circumstances, sometimes more than anything else, what you wish is that justice would be administered. You long for the day when God acts in judgment. When God comes and he executes a just judgment over the injustices that have been perpetrated. Well, you know, brothers and sisters, if you're in that place, then you're not alone. And there's lots of other people who are in the same place with you. That's exactly the attitude of the Israelites back in Malachi's day. They saw all this injustice around them. And at one level, they're sick and tired of it all. They wanted it different. But you know what happened to them? Is that even though they were tired of the injustice... They didn't deal with it in a good way. Because even though the Lord was a, is a God of justice, he wasn't happy with these people. It all sounded so pious. They were the ones who wanted things to be just, and they wanted God to come and to act in justice. But the fact is that they were committing as much injustice themselves as everybody else. And so Malachi addresses that issue. He says, you know, the Lord is going to come. And he is going to execute a true justice. But when he comes and executes a justice, do you realize that he's going to execute that justice just as much against you as he is against the people around you? You know, it's good for us to reflect on that, brothers and sisters. We can see the injustice that other people have committed against us. But the real question is, what about the injustice that you've committed against others? Where would it leave you if a just God exercised true justice over your life? I preach God's word to you with this theme, although we long for justice, who can endure the day of the judge's coming? We're going to see in the first place the refiner's fire, and then secondly, the purified remnant. Why was God so unhappy with these people? It's true that they, they longed for justice, but then right alongside of that, the scripture also tells us that they become really discouraged. They become cynical. The Lord calls it out in Malachi 2 verse 17. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? It's by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? The situation for these people is they're looking around and they see all this injustice being perpetrated 
And after they see it happen over and over again, they kind of said to themselves, well, I guess that's okay with the Lord. I guess these unjust people, they just get a pass. They get to do whatever they want, and they're never called to account. I guess the Lord just isn't noticing these days. Where is the God of justice? Well, they were fixated on all the evil around them. You know, it's not hard for that to happen. You know, in our time, you get into the news cycle. If you get caught up in the news cycle, you'll find these websites, and they talk about all the terrible things that are happening in the world, all this doom and gloom. Or you get caught up in, your, in the algorithms of the social media companies, and you start watching certain kinds of things, and before you know it, that's all you get. And it's all this, this news about these corrupt things that other people are doing, and it leads to all this fear and this anxiety within your heart. Well, it's so easy to become cynical, to become bitter, to respond in unbelief. If you want a, a real-life example of that, you read Psalm 73. The psalmist there, he, he lived a righteous life, he did a just life, he always did what was good and right before the Lord, and then he looks around him and he sees his neighbor, and he asks the Lord, he asks himself, why am I doing this? You know, if you look at my neighbor, he has everything. He's got a really nice house, he's got a three-car garage, he's got the caravan, he's got the boat, he goes on long vacations, he's got a couple of investment properties, he's got the life. He's healthy and fit, nothing ever happens to him. And so why am I slaving away and serving the Lord? Why am I spending all this time trying to worship God and do what's right? And it got so bad for him that he despaired until the day when he went to church. And then he realized the truth of what's coming. He realized the end of these people. And in the end, they're going to rest under judgment. And that the greatest thing in the world is to worship the Lord. Well, you focus on this world, brothers and sisters, and you lose perspective. It's easy to become cynical. Our world is under the authority of the evil one. It's easy to respond in unbelief. And that's where these people in Malachi's time had got to. Just because God had not yet come in judgment, they lost sight of the Lord and they were responding in unbelief. The Lord said it really wearied him. He was tired of their unbelief and their cynicism. And then he asked them, can you imagine? Can you imagine if I really did come in judgment? Because it's about to happen. You know, where is the God of justice? God answers, he says, right here. Here I am, Malachi 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. Well, the word behold, you could also translate it as, here I am. Where is the God of justice? The Lord says, right here. I'm right here and I'm coming. Suddenly into my temple. But the real question is, can you handle that? Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? When God judges... When he comes, he's not just going to judge all those wicked people out there. It's not just the politicians and the other people who are committing injustice out in the world. And when he acts in judgment, he's going to start right here. Judgment actually starts with the people of God. That's what he says here. 
For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller soap. He will sit as the refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them as gold and silver. He's going to start with the priests, with the sons of Levi. I'm not sure if you remember a few weeks ago at the sermon earlier in, in Malachi 2 where the Lord called the priests out for neglecting their task. They had the job of teaching the people what God really had done, leading them in true instruction. But they become biased and impartial in their judgments, and they had failed to teach the people who God really is and what God had really done for them. And so the Lord says, he says, well, now I'm going to come. And when I come, I'm going to judge you. It starts with you. 1 Peter 4, 17, for the time for judgment... For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And so it's a real sobering message here, brothers and sisters. When we think of God coming in judgment, it's really easy to have a laser focus on the sins of the people who've sinned against us. But God says when he comes in judgment, that's not what it's about in the first place. He says when he comes in judgment, it's about you. And it's about your sins. Now, did you recognize your sins? And have you repented of them? Have you bullied kids when you were young at school? Who have you manipulated? And who have you lied to? What about those times that you were mean to your brother or sister? Or that you took advantage of somebody else? What about those times where you borrowed something? without returning it? Or what about those sins that you're committing right now? The things that you feel a little guilty about, just not guilty enough to do anything about? The sins that you minimize, or justify, or excuse? Are you ready for the judgment to begin, brothers and sisters? Do you know what's going to happen when he comes? When God comes, he says he's going to purify the sinners. The imagery is kind of harsh. In the first place, he says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify his people like silver and gold. Well, back then, if you wanted to purify silver, you put the silver into a crucible, and you heat it up to some crazy intense temperatures. What happens is that the impurities, they either rise to the top so you can skim them off, or else they get burned off altogether. And so what's left is this, this pure crucible filled with silver. I don't know if you've ever been to the Mint. They have the Perth Mint. You ever stop by there, they have this, this little presentation where they take a kilo of gold and they melt it down. And then they, they pour it into a mold and they, they reshape this, this kilogram bar into a kilo of gold. Well, in the process of doing that, they burn off all the impurities. And God says, that's what he's going to do with his people. I'm going to come in and I'm going to purify you. I'm going to heat it up. I'm going to show the impurities of your life and I'm going to burn them off. It's kind of the imagery that that the Apostle Paul uses, 1 Corinthians 3. We read it together. After telling the people that the only foundation that we can build on is Jesus Christ, 
Then Paul continues, he says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, straw, or hay, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. God's saying, one day your work is going to be tested. Did you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Did you look for Christ to help? Did you seek to honor Christ for what he's done for you? Did you love Christ and did you act out of love for him? If what you did was motivated by a love and a service to Christ, then it will survive. If it wasn't, then God says it's going to get burned up. And now what what Malachi says is he says this is true not just of your work, of the work that you do, but he says it's true of your whole life. God is going to examine your whole life. He's going to burn off all the impurities. But the second image that God uses is that of fuller soap. Now these days, if you think of laundry soap, then that everyone has these advertisements about how it's really gentle. It's really gentle on your hands. It's really gentle on the clothes. It's just a real gentle soap. Well, fuller soap is the opposite. It's a, a lye and alkaline base, and it's just really harsh. And the reason for that is because it works. It actually cleans the clothes. It gets all the impurities out of the clothes. Well, the question is, are you ready for that? Do you have a deep longing for justice? Are you praying for judgment day when everyone gets what they deserve? And if you are praying that, do you realize that in the first place that God is going to judge you? It's quite confronting, brothers and sisters. The good news is that God knows our weakness. He knows our sin. He's a very gracious God. He doesn't want us to be destroyed when he comes in judgment. And so first what he does is he comes to help us. It's Malachi 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. So who's the messenger? Well, Malachi's time was the prophet Malachi. He was my messenger. God sent him as a messenger to his people. And we heard in the last few chapters about how Malachi called out sin among the people. You can't keep doing this. You can't live in sin like this. Because if you continue this way, and if you don't repent, then the day comes where the Lord comes towards you, and then it's going to be a day of judgment. And he's going to come down on you. And so Malachi, he called the people to repent right at the very beginning. He said, you know, he says, your worship, you had a lot of apathy. You used to call the the weak and the sick animals out of your herds, and you used to bring them to the temple to worship God. Well, Malachi says, you can't do that anymore. Or in the next place, he called, up, he called out the priests. He said, initially, when, when God established a covenant with Levi, then Levi stood in awe of him. It was a covenant based on, on Levi's respect and fear for the Lord. And then God challenged the priests. He says, you know, in your day, he says, you, you practice partiality. You don't treat true instruction. You're not being honest with the people in the way that I want them to be. And so he calls them to change and to have a different, a different attitude, a different spirit. 
And then on top of that, we heard last week about how he called out the people's sin with regards to marriage. They're getting divorced because that served them better. And then they're getting remarried. They're getting married to these foreign women. And so the Lord called them out and he says, you can't do that. He says, you must change. You must repent. You must have a change of heart and live in holiness before me. Because otherwise when I come, then I'm going to come in judgment against you. And actually it was, it was even worse than that. In verse 5 of our text, it talks about some of the judgment that God's going to bring down against all kinds of sins that they committed. He says, then I will draw near to you for judgment. And this is, this is after a refining process. If you, if you have been refined, if your sin has been called out, you're called to repent, you're called to, to live in faith before God, and you reject all that, then God says, then I will draw near to you in judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Well, what a dire picture. These people are into witchcraft. They're committing adultery. And they're taking advantage of all sorts of people, especially of the weakest and the poorest in the land. They're manipulating others. They're willing to take advantage of the immigrants. There are people who didn't honor God at all. But the Lord doesn't want to judge them. And so he sends Malachi and he calls him to repent. But you know, that's not the only reference to the messenger here. This verse is actually quoted by our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 11. It's in the verses 7 to 10, he, he quotes this verse and he refers to the work of John the Baptist. After John sent some of his disciples to the Lord Jesus, then Jesus asks the people, he says, why did you go out into the desert? Whom did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. It's a quotation here from Malachi 3. I send my messenger before you who will prepare the way for you. John came to prepare the way for the Christ. And how did he do it? Do you remember John's message? John came preaching the gospel of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says you need to realize that the axe is laid at the root of the tree. And every tree that doesn't bear good fruit, it's going to get chopped down. It's going to get thrown into the fire. And so John called the people. He said, you need to get ready for the time when Christ comes. Because when Christ comes, your heart has to be open to him. Because if you don't listen to Christ, and if he preaches the message, and if you reject him, if you're still in your sin, then in the end, then Christ will not give you salvation, but then Christ will come down on you in judgment. Well, it's the same for us today, brothers and sisters. The Lord is going to come in judgment. We're looking forward, we're living in the final time of history. We're looking forward to the great day when Christ returns in the clouds of heaven. And when he does, and he doesn't want to condemn us, he's a good God who loves us and who desires to have a relationship with us. He says, you're my people and I'm your God and I want to live with you for eternal fellowship. And so he sends his messengers, and he calls you to repent of your sin. 
Well, the question is, will you repent? Will you recognize your sin? Will you acknowledge it to the Lord? Will you ask God for his grace and forgiveness? Do you understand that sin leads to judgment? And that just because you're a church member, that doesn't exempt you from judgment? It starts with the household of God. You can't carry on with your sin, brothers and sisters. You must repent. The Lord is coming. And when he comes, he will exercise a true justice. It's good to remember Psalm 7, verse 11. God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation every day. If the man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. He's got his weapons ready, and he will act in judgment, and he will destroy all those who refuse to repent. But in the meantime, he's patient, and he gives you time. And he says, I don't want to judge you. I don't want to condemn you. I want to save you. I want to bring you into the kingdom. And so you must recognize your sin for what it is. You must acknowledge it. You must humble yourself before the Lord. You must flee from your sin. And you must love Jesus Christ for the gift of salvation. Is there any hope? Can we do it? You know, we're sinners. It goes right down to the core of our being, brothers and sisters. So can we survive the judge's coming? Well, the surprising answer is yes. Yes, we can. God is going to come. He's going to purify us. But the amazing thing is that after he purifies us, there actually is going to be some silver left in the crucible. There's going to be some white cloth left after he cleans us with fuller soap. A purified remnant is going to come out after his, his process of getting us ready. He talks about it in verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. God's people are going to bring righteous offerings. They're going to be pleasing to God, as in the days of old. Well, how is it possible? If you read the next verse, the verse after our text, verse 6, the Lord explains why. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. There will be a remnant. There will be people who are purified and refined and who stand before my presence because I, the Lord, do not change. God made promises to Jacob at the very beginning. It's a promise that Malachi reminded the people of in verse, the very first verses of this book. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Well, God says I love Jacob and I chose Jacob, not because he was such a good person, now, Jacob was a thief. Jacob was a, he stole the, the blessing from his brother. He was a deceiver. 
He cheated. And yet God chose him and loved him because God, in his sovereign good pleasure, decided that Jacob is the one through whom he would grant blessing to his people. And it's because God doesn't change that he says that he will continue with these people and he will bring these people into glory. You know, it's really important for us to reflect on that from time to time, brothers and sisters. You know, we're people who live in a world of change. Everything's changing. And it's changing all the time. And we ourselves, we are people who change. You know, one day we, we make a promise to someone and we say, we'll help you or we'll do this or that for you. But then it happens a week later, a month later, six months later, the person does something really harmful to us. They do something really terrible and it's really hurtful to us. And then we turn around and we say, well, do you think I'm actually going to do this for you after what you did to me? Forget it, I'm not going to do that. That often happens, we change. But the Lord's not like that. He's immutable. He's made his promises to us, and those promises will last. And it's because he's a God who does not change that there is hope for a future for us. He says he's going to, to refine us. Well, you wonder how it's possible? The Lord is a just judge. He is a holy God. He feels indignation every day. And so how can he continue with us in the end? The only way he does so is because he sends Christ as the messenger of the new covenant. If you go back to verse 1, after telling us that he's going to send John the Baptist to lead us to repentance, then in the last part of verse 1, the Lord continues, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Well, this messenger of the covenant, this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has come, and he's come to do what we failed to do. It's really quite striking. When you, when you look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the very first act of his ministry, Christ comes into this world and he goes to John the Baptist and he seeks to be baptized. Matthew 3, verse 15. And then John asks him, and John says, what are you doing? Why do you need to be baptized? Why are you coming to me to be baptized? I should be baptized by you. And the Lord Jesus responds, he says, no, he says, let it be so, for it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. I need to share with my people. I need to walk alongside a life with them. Even though I'm without sin, I need to go through the things that they need to go through. Well, the people needed a baptism of repentance. Even though Christ was sinless, he also underwent this baptism of repentance on our behalf. He identified with us as we have the dross and the dirt washed off of us. It's really quite striking in the scriptures. He makes another mention. He says that he will also be baptized with a baptism of fire. In Luke 12, 49 and 50, he tells us that before he brings the fire of judgment over the whole earth, he was first baptized with this fire, with this baptism of fire. And it's a, it's a reference 
to the judgment of God that was poured out on him. Christ came into this world, and God's wrath, God's judgment was poured out on him. Well, the only way for the refiner's fire to pass over us and not to burn us to a crisp is because it first passed over him, and he bore the curse of God on our behalf. He bore all our sins, and he paid for them with his death on the cross. And it's because he has done so that when Christ comes to refine us, then he's able to, to wash over us and not to destroy us in his anger. Well, if you understand who Christ is and what Christ has done as the messenger of the covenant, then you'll understand that the core calling of the scriptures, the core calling of this passage, is to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The only hope you have is if you look in faith to Christ. It's when you look to him that you will be purified by him. Then he will bear your curse and he will present you to the Father as one who's pure in his sight. It's as you believe in Christ that he also renews you with his spirit. Now, we don't have the power to make ourselves into new people. We can't do that. But the spirit can. And so it's through faith in Christ that the Spirit comes to us, and that he lives in us, and he changes us, he purifies us, he makes us into these people who hate sin, and who delight in righteousness, and who begin to walk in holiness before God. That's quite interesting. When the Holy Spirit comes down in Pentecost, he comes down as a flame of fire, and he rests upon all the disciples. He comes to, to make us into these new people who know God, who love God, who live for him, and who are then ready for the day of judgment. Do you understand the call to repent from your sins, brothers and sisters? Do you understand the, the grace that God extends to you in Christ? The Lord wants you to look to him in faith. He calls you to do so. Along with that, he warns you if you refuse. You know, maybe you don't want to repent. Maybe you love your sin. Maybe you desire to continue in it. Maybe you have no intention of ever changing. It happens to some people. They think they can carry on with what they're doing. But they really don't care about God. Well, in that case, the Apostle Paul tells us that they end up in a very different place than those who trust in God. It's in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8 to 10, that the Apostle says that the time is coming when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, Away from, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. There are two ways. You reject the testimony, and Christ will come 
and inflict the eternal vengeance of God against you, or you believe the testimony about Jesus Christ, and that Christ will come, and you will glorify him, and you will marvel at him for who he is and for all he has done for you. Let's plead with God that he gives us his spirit, that we may believe in our Lord Jesus, and that we may share in his righteousness. Amen. Let's now sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing about the purifying work that the Lord does. Hymn 66, sorry, Psalm 66, the verses 4 and 5. Sisters, let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this morning, we'll also remember several members of our congregation. In the first place, we'll remember the family of our brother Jensen, who passed away. Pray that God would comfort our sister and the rest of the family with the the promises. We'll also remember our brother Harry Klein. This past week, our brother suffered a a fairly major stroke. Um, It happened on Thursday morning. Thankfully, he was able to have an operation, and he's doing quite a bit better. He's doing really well again, so we're grateful for that. We'll also remember Brother Wally Tenhaf. Wally's scheduled for brain surgery this coming Thursday. And then finally, we also will remember one other brother.
We also pray, Father, that you take care of the members of our congregation who, who need you in special ways. We think of this time especially of the Jensen family. Father, we pray that you would be with her sister Jensen as she grieves the death of her husband. Please be a father to her and please carry her through this time. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've extended. Thank you that we may believe the promise of the resurrection, that death is not the end, but that it is an entrance to eternal life. And thank you, Father, that we believe the promise that one day Christ is going to return on the clouds of heaven and that he's going to make all things new and we will live with you in a world where there's no more pain and no more suffering, where there's no more sin and no more death. Father, we also pray that you give a rich measure of your spirit to her sister, to her children, to the grandchildren. Please grant that they may be comforted by you. Grant that the promises of your word may be a great encouragement to them and help them, Lord, to, to find peace in you. Thank you for for your love for them. And thank you that you, you promised to care for them. Help us also to reach out in love and to, to extend the love that you have for them. Father, we also thank you for, for the kindness that you've extended to our brother Harry Klein. So grateful, Lord, that despite the fact that he had a stroke, that, that you could bless the, the operation he received and, and bless the work of the doctors. Thank you that he's doing much better again. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant full recovery to our brother grant that he's able to, to do everything and, and that, that it would go well with him. Lord, we realize how, how frail we are and we, we stand before you with empty hands and we plead with you for your continued grace and for your kindness. We're also so grateful for our brother and sister that they could celebrate their anniversary today. Lord, we, we honor you that you've given them faithfulness to each other for, for 57 years. We pray, Lord, that you would grant them much joy and grant them your blessing, together and with their family. We also pray for a brother as well. He has his birthday tomorrow, Lord. Please grant that they may have a special day together as family, that they can reflect together in your kindness towards him and, and that, that you would shine your face upon them. Father, we pray that you be near to, to all the other members of our congregation who are under doctor's care. This number of the elderly members who have a hard time making it here to worship with us, I think especially of our brother Scoof, Lord, hasn't been worshiping with us for months. We ask that you be a father to him, that you carry him too, that you look after him and his wife in their old age. Please give him relief from the pain and, and please help them through this time. And we also think of the other elderly members. We're grateful that many of them can be here, but also others can't be here. I think especially of our sister Sue Bonker as well, Lord. Please be near to her and please carry her in her old age. Father, we ask that you would please also take care of our brother Wally Tenhaf, Brother scheduled for brain surgery later this week. We ask that you bless the work of the doctors, that they're able to do the work that they need to do, that they can have steady hands, that they're able to help our brother so, so that it may go well for him. Please comfort him, Lord, with the promises of the gospel. We thank you that he may believe in you, and we ask that you would help him. And we also pray for, for his wife, especially for Leone, that you be a father to her and that you support her as she continues to support her husband. Father, please take care of them. Please look after each one of us. We now have the opportunity to, to give our thank offerings to you, Lord. We really love you, and we love to, to show the love that we have for you also in, in giving. We have the opportunity to support the, the work of mission. Pray, Lord, that you would please bless our missionaries in PNG. I want to ask that you take care of them, that you surround them with peace and safety. I think especially of our, our sister Erica Pohl. She's getting over dengue fever. We want to ask that you bless her healing, that it may go well with her, and that she's able to recover. 
He's also grant, Lord, that they can preach the message of the gospel, that they're able to encourage new believers in their faith in you, that they're able to establish new churches, and that it would go well for them. Father, please be with the indigenous pastors as well. Be with this, this young group of churches, that they're able to grow in spiritual maturity, that you add members to their number, and that, that as, as churches, that they may be a great witness of the, the grace that you extend in Jesus Christ. Father, please hear us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, you, do, you indeed have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection is for the work of mission in PNG. And after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 83, the verses 1 and 2.
Receive now the blessing of the Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.